Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Does it make you nervous that the preacher needs two stands? It's a lot. So many notes. One pulpit could not withstand it. So don't worry. It's going to be just fine. It's going to be just fine. Awesome. So we are, uh, as Bill said, what's his name again? His name is Bill. Bill said we're in the middle of this teaching series on the, the struggle is real, and I am really excited about it. Today's uh, message is called, The Struggle is we- Real, But We Have a Loving Father. And as we go through um, this Uh, message today, we're going to see that yes, we have a loving father. Yes, we have been adopted and placed into this family. And this father, right, who we look up to now, he wants us to live holy lives in the face of trials and tribulations. As we, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, right, we, we saw that the book of First Peter is really a letter written by Peter in the first century to a number of believers throughout the Roman provinces in Asia Minor, what is now Turkey. Right? And it was a letter of encouragement to, to stay strong and to follow Jesus' example through the, the persecutions and the sufferings that they were enduring. So yes, we have a loving Father. Right? And, but what we're going to see as we look um, through this section, we're going to go from chapter 1, verse 13, all the way to chapter 2, verse 3, and we're going to see that the overarching theme throughout this section is a call to holiness, a call to live holy lives. And I don't know why it splits it up like that. That's irritating. All right, so, but the definition for holiness from Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary is moral and ethical wholeness or perfection. It is freedom from moral evil, right? And really, when this is what people are longing for, people want freedom from evil. I don't know a single person that I've ever met that's like, you know what, I just wish there was more evil in this world. Right? I just wish people were, were more broken and fractured and selfish, thereby making this world more terrible. Right? Nobody says that. We all have a desire for holiness. But as human beings, we kind of want to define what our holiness looks like. We're, we want to say, well, this is what holiness is, and we have an expectation that everybody else should live up to our definition of holiness. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, right, we know that we don't even live up to our own definition of holiness. Right? We don't live up to our own definition of what right living is. So, if we're going to understand this section of Scripture, we need to understand that holiness is not a negative thing. That holiness is incredibly positive. Right? And as a, and when I was in high school, uh, early 20s, and I was beginning to, to make my own decisions about life and, uh, and about faith, I grew up in the church. My dad's actually a a pastor, and so I knew a lot about Jesus. I knew a lot about the Bible, and I could tell that God was against fun, right? He was against having a good time because 
as a young guy, you know, I want I wanted to hang out with my friends. I was in a, a super awesome rock band called Social Blunder. It was great. Anybody? Nobody's heard of them? That's weird. Okay. Um, and so I was, and so I just wanted to hang out. I wanted to party with my friends. You know, and I'll just let you fill in the blank of of what partying looked like. But I knew that God was against those things. I knew that God didn't want you to get drunk, and I knew God didn't want you to do drugs, and I knew that God didn't want you to, to have premarital sex, and so obviously God is against having fun, right? It, it, holiness is just kind of God getting his kicks, right, subjugating people, and he has fun watching humans not have fun, right? That was my understanding of holiness, and it was a bit skewed, right? Or you hear things like, um, you should forgive people, right? You hear that in church a lot, and I'm just like, that is crazy, because that guy does not deserve to be forgiven. What he did was unforgivable, it was unacceptable, and I'm not going to do it, right? Or the Bible teaches something like, the, the first will be last, and the last will be first, and you want me to, to lay my life down for somebody else? Well, that's crazy. God, you apparently don't understand how the world works, right? That, and maybe we don't say that out loud, but that is literally what I was thinking in my brain, right? It's like, God, you don't understand. I need to look out for myself, because if I don't do it, nobody else is going to. Right? And so I, this is what I thought that, that the church was about. It was about, you know, holiness is just going to, I'm just going to get taken advantage of, right? God doesn't want me to enjoy my life. He doesn't care about having fun, right? That was my understanding. But it's not true. It's completely not true. It's completely whacked out, right? And so the reality is that God wants us to enjoy our lives. It's amazing, Right? God wants us to be happy, right? I, uh, in John 10, 10, anybody? I use this verse a lot, right? The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus said, come to give you life in life to the full or abundant life. God wants us to enjoy our lives, right? And if we look back in the chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, prior to the fall, right? But, uh, we see that God creates everything, creates everything out of nothing, and finally he places Adam in the garden, and he says, you see all these trees, you see all this stuff, it is beautiful, and it is for you to enjoy. In all of, all of the fruit of these trees and these vines, it's all good for you to eat, except that one thing, don't eat that, right? And everything, this is for your enjoyment. And God kind of maybe takes a step back and he goes, wait, it is not good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve and he places Eve in the garden with Adam. And he says, now you guys are supposed to multiply and you're supposed to create culture, right? You're supposed to go out and tame this world, right? And you're supposed to enjoy all of this. Right, and we don't know exactly how long that Adam and Eve were in the garden between this point and the, the fall, but there's, I don't know anybody that would say that Adam and Eve were not happy at this point, that they weren't fulfilled, that they weren't enjoying their lives. You see, they had complete holiness, right? They were completely free from moral evil. Right? And that is God's intention. God's intention for each one of us is that we live free from that, that we live free in God, that we have full and abundant lives. And I believe that is what holiness looks like. 
And the good news is that we are going towards that. We're going back to complete holiness when Jesus returns and we're bodily resurrected, right? Our bodies are resurrected. We live forever in the new heavens and the new earth and God wipes away every tear. He, you know, no more crying, no more shame, no more death, right? The, the final enemy that, that God throws into the lake, of the lake of fire is death. And that is where we're heading. We're heading towards this perfect holiness, And praise God, we can enter into holiness right now through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, so we can take part of it right now, and it is not bad. It is awesome. It is fullness of life. All right, so that's my holiness intro. Okay, so thank you. Thanks, Bill. So we're going to to jump in here, and we've got a a fair number of scriptures to to cover, so stay with me. Um, And most of these are from the NIV, though we'll be sprinkling in some other translations as we go. So follow along with me if you will. Chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully, fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Amen. There we go. So verse 13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. So Peter is saying, all right, get ready. In light of what we said, in light of all that we've been talking about, and Pastor Cameron touched on this, or talked about this last week, right? He talked about, you know, our, our hope of an inheritance because we are, you know, we have a father that, that has an inheritance for us, that we are saved, right? That we, um, we have hope. Hope, salvation, inheritance. That's kind of what was um, that first chunk of scriptures was about. So Peter summarizes that, and he says, in light of this kind of theological ideas that God is your father, that you are that have an inheritance, that you are saved, this is what you are supposed to do with your lives. You're supposed to live as obedient children. All right, and we saw that back in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Peter started this idea of the Father, right? And that that we have a Father who has an inheritance for us. So it is implied that if we have a Father, we are there for children. We are children. We see this more clearly as the book progresses, but we know through the teachings of the New Testament and the Old Testament that we are children of God, that he is our Father who loves us and is passionate for us. But not only are we children, we are called to be obedient children, all right? There are expectations in this family if we are going to call God our Father. And so he contrasts two different ideas here when he's describing what obedience looks like. He says, do not be conformed. And that's what it says in the the NASB and the ESV, which I think is a little bit better I like it a little bit more than the NIV. And I'm a big NIV fan. All right, the NIV says, um, where are we? Just as you called yourself as obedient children, do not conform. So it's kind of 
and, and active, don't conform. But in the NASB and the ESV, it says, do not be conformed. And we see that it, it isn't an active thing. It's not, don't pursue conforming to the world. It's, uh, but uh, passively, you are being conformed. And what I think that Peter is saying here is that as humanity, as human beings, our natural tendency as we live life is to be conformed to this sin nature that was placed inside of us at the fall, right? Back in Genesis chapter 3, that left to our own devices, we are going to follow our own carnal natures, our own carnal desires. And, he, and he's saying, do not do that. Don't be conformed, right, to the former lusts, Peter says, uh, which were yours in your ignorance. Before you understood what you were doing, before you knew Jesus, you just kind of walked through life willy-nilly, and left to your own devices, you will fall into sin, because you are a human. You are depraved. You have a sin nature. Well, that's kind of negative, Mark. Jeez. But that's reality, right? We, <laughs> sorry, we are depraved human beings, and left to our own devices, we will conform to sin. And so Peter says, don't do that anymore, and he contrasts being conformed by our sin nature to being holy, right? He says, don't passively be conformed to this, but actively pursue holiness, right? Actively pursue holiness because you're no longer just following this world. You have somebody new to follow, you are following Christ. You are living for Jesus, and you are supposed to conform your lives to Jesus. And it continues on in verse 15. It says, uh, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So it says, in all that you do in the NIV, and I, I think that might be a little bit ambiguous in all you do, but in the NASB, it says, in all of your behavior, be holy in all of your behavior. Or in the New King James, the, the English Standard Version, it says, in all of your conduct, in all of the things that you actually do, be holy. Oh, interesting. And so, let me way off of my notes here. No worries. Everything's fine. Um, so Peter says that our behavior is to be holy, and not just our thoughts, not just our intentions, right? Not our motivations, but our behavior. What can actually be seen by others, right? And this is driven from our hearts and our thoughts, right? But the goal is good behavior, all right? To live holy lives. And this isn't live holy lives so that God will accept you. No, Peter has already said that you are children of God. You have an inheritance waiting for you. And it's because of this reality and the, the indwelling, the power of the Holy Spirit in you, that you are able to be holy in your behavior and in your conduct. Amen. So, continuing on in Verse 17, Peter says, since, he's, right, we're, now we're going, what does this uh, pursuit of, or why should we be holy, is kind of what we're going towards here. Why should we be holy? Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. So, we've seen, right, that God is calling us to be holy, to be obedient children, and Peter tells us why. Does he? We don't know. There it is. Verse 17, he says, you will be judged for what you do. See, I get to talk about holiness, and I get to talk about judgment again. Ugh. Sign of heavy things. But again, judgment doesn't have to be scary, right? It's not like God is excited about this judgment, right? He loves to kind of smash people. You know, he loves sending people to hell. No, that is the opposite of reality, right? Um, the New Living Translation actually says that you will be judged or rewarded for what you do, right? And so there's this, this idea that, that God is watching you, and in eternity, there will be, you know, the Bible talks about crowns of life and, and different kinds of things that you get when you go to heaven, and I don't understand how all that works, but we know the truth is, and Peter is saying here in verse 17, that God is watching you. God has his eye on you, and he will judge you for what you do. Right, and I think that this doesn't have to be scary, especially because of the verses following this. But we need to understand that Paul, Peter, not Paul, Peter is saying that we are responsible for our own actions. Sorry. Um, I just saw somebody and waved. Wow. Okay. We are responsible for our own actions. And uh, we cannot blame, right, we all, we're human beings, we're humanity that are depraved and have a sin nature, right? We can't go to God and say, well, it's not my fault that I fell into sin, right? Because I have this sin nature and it's I left to my own devices, I just do sin, right? Paul talks about that in Romans. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. So God, you can't blame me, right? But Peter is saying that no, you will be held responsible. You are responsible for the things that you do. And in verse 18 and 19, that makes this a lot less intimidating because we know that we are sinful. We know that we are, are fallen, and we know that we can't do enough. We can't earn our way back into salvation. We can't earn our way back into God's, you know, good graces. But praise the Lord that God has paid such a massively huge price for each one of us. And again, Peter contrasts two things. He says that God paid this high price for your salvation, not with silver or gold, not with just, you know, a couple bucks or some carnal thing. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, it cost me five bucks to save Bill and $12 to save Peter. You know, and, I'll, you know, and Jesus, I mean, I'm not too worried about it. You know, I'm actually getting a, a part-time job at Pizza Hut, you know, this weekend to kind of pay for some of these salvations, right? It wasn't, maybe that's not a great example, but it's, it's this idea that it's not a cheap or kind of easy thing that God paid this price for us, right? He paid the highest price. 
He paid with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, it says in verse 19. And just to kind of uh, to highlight the, the significance of this price, I want to remind us a couple series ago. Anybody remember te us teaching through the Nicene Creed? Yeah, a couple people. Good. So we taught through the Nicene Creed. One of the, the stanzas in there is, um, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Right? And this creed was written in 325 AD by a, a bunch of people trying, you know, saying, we need to nail down what we believe. And because at this time, and I believe Graham talked about this, that there was some some discussion like, oh, well, maybe Jesus was just a man, right? And he, and he was a good man, but he, it was just the man Jesus that died on the cross for us. Well, that doesn't work. There were thousands of people that were crucified during this, this first century, during this time that Jesus was crucified, and none of their blood did a single thing to help with our sin problem, all right? And some people in 325 or in, and before and after, thought that, well, maybe just it was, it was not Jesus. You know, maybe it was, you know, it was a guy and the Holy Spirit filled him, right? And so it was the Holy Spirit filled him, but when he went to the cross, then the Holy Spirit left him because Jesus, or the God, can't be killed. God can't die, right? But at Nicaea, they said, no, Jesus was God. He was, yes, he's the only begotten son of God, but he was begotten, not made. There has never been a moment when Jesus did not exist. There is nothing separating Jesus from the Father. They are the same essence, very God of very God. And it was this Jesus that God sent, the second person of the, the Trinity, right, that God sent to the earth and was crucified and murdered to deal with our sin problem. And so it was God who was crucified. And how does that, how does that all work? I, I couldn't begin to explain it, right? How does that happen? How does that work? But we know that it's the truth. We know that it was the precious blood of God that was shed that atoned for all of our sins. It was this blood that redeemed us, right? And the, the re redemption, I've got a great definition of redemption somewhere in my notes. Oh, redemption, it means salvation from sin, death, and wrath by paying a price, right? A price needed to be paid for the sin that came into the world in, during the fall, the sin nature that was passed down to each one of us through the, the line of Adam and Eve, right? And this judgment that had to be paid for, right, it's not because God is angry. It's because God is holy. It's because God is loving, because God is righteous, that he needs to deal with that sin. And the Bible teaches that, the, that there has to be blood spilled to redeem from sin, right? And so no man, no animal could do it. And so God himself had to come down and be crucified and murdered on a cross. And three days later was resurrected and we, beget, we get to live this new life because of what Jesus did. So in verse 22, Peter continues on, he says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, 
Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. I think it's interesting. Here is another comparison and contrast that Peter used. He says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Right? You, 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 know, you were lost and you were on the road to hell, to destruction. Right? But now you've been born again and you have a new imperishable seed. Jesus Christ, the word of God living inside you, that will lead you and bring you into eternal life. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And then we're going to read chapter 2, 1, 2. So therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so Peter has said that you are family members. You are sons and daughters of God. Therefore, you should live holy. You should live holy lives because God is watching you and you are responsible for your actions. He says that you should live holy lives because God paid the ultimate price. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross for you. And so you should follow in Christ's footsteps. You should pursue God because you owe him everything that you have, right? And so that is why we should pursue holiness. And so now Peter begins here, and really this starts, um, un, uh, uh, we see it um, unfolding. Thank you so much. I'm a professional speaker. Unfolding. That's a $3 word. All right, so, uh, so it continues to unfold what this act of holiness looks like, but he begins talking about it here in verse 22 and through the beginning of chapter 2. He says, since you have in obedience, and this again is the NASB, purified your souls. And where have we seen this, this word obedience before? Right, just a few verses before, as obedient children. And so he's saying, you have done it. As you have believed in Jesus Christ, as you have submitted to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, through this obedience, through grace, through faith alone, right, that you have purified your souls. And now that you are saved, now that you are children of God, you should love one another. And what I love about this verse is that it seems like Peter, he writes um, that you should love one another. And he's like, that, does, that didn't, didn't contain all that I wanted to say. And so then he writes, fervently love one another from the depths of your heart. And he's, it's like, he's like, you guys love one another. And he's just he's so excited about it, right? It's like that is the, the outcome. That is what this holiness looks like. Because of all that God did for you, the overflow of that is loving one another. And the good news, as we see here in verse 23, is that we can fulfill this command because this is a command we saw in the Gospels. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Peter repeats that here. You know, to, th this is a command that we love one another and we can do it because we are born again. Right? In our old sinful nature, right, it, when Peter calls it, when we were still living in ignorance, we couldn't do it. Our depraved humanity, we cannot choose God. 
We cannot successfully love one another. Yeah, we can do nice things, right? But we can't um, consistently walk it out in our lives. We need the power of God in us. And we have it because we have been born again. Right? Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17 says, You are a new creation. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Right? And as, as Christians, as Christ followers, you know, the, the old man, the sin nature has been buried with Christ. You know, we signify that when we do baptisms. Right? The old man is, is, is buried with Christ and then we're risen up into newness of life, into fullness of life. And we now have the power to overcome this sin nature. Right? We are no longer slaves to sin and death. We have been born again, and through that, we can love one another. And though uh, Peter is going to get into looking, you know, this is what love looks like, in chapter 2, he talks a little bit about what love isn't. He's saying, don't live in malice, don't live in deceit, don't live in hypocrisy, envy, and slander, right? You are to love one another, and these are the opposite of love. I think, it's, I think it's important to, to remember that these, this letter and pretty much most every uh, epistle uh, letter in, in the New Testament was written to a community of believers. Oops. And that we, are, that we aren't supposed to take this individualistically. And certainly this applies to each one of us alone. But what Peter is speaking to here in this chapter in this book is that you are a community of believers. That you guys have been brought into this family of God. It's not just you and God, right? It's you and all of your brothers and sisters in Christ living here. And what you're supposed to do is love this group of people. Love fervently from the depths of your heart. And so when you're interacting with your brothers and your sisters in Christ, do not act in malice or deceit or hypocrisy or any of this stuff, right? Because all of these things, all of these behaviors, right, these have to be done in community. You have to do that in relationship. If you are alone on an island, it's much more difficult to have malice, which is just kind of a desire for evil, right? But we're we're fallen creatures, so we could do it, but, right, it doesn't, it doesn't, our behavior, there's no behavior of malice, and that is what Peter is talking about. There has to be another person for there to be this behavior, right? We don't, we can't lie to somebody if there's not another somebody there. You know, we can't envy if there's not somebody else to envy, and so Peter is saying that in your community, in your relationships, run away from this stuff. This stuff is what you used to do when you lived in ignorance. And this sin is what came into the world through the enemy, you know, in chapter 3 of Genesis during the fall. And this is the stuff that brings death and destruction, what brings division in your relationships. And so flee from that stuff. 
Get rid of that stuff. Run as far away from it as you possibly can. Because you guys are being persecuted. You're being slandered. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago, right, that these people were, um, they're exiles, that they're scattered. They didn't have any place to live. They, you know, they were being persecuted and subjugated by the Roman Empire. And Peter's saying, you guys need to pull together. And yeah, you have your eyes, you know that what's happening right now is not the end of the story. That you have an eternal hope, that you are heading towards eternity and it is going to be awesome, but you're here right now and so you need to pull together as a community and love each other and love each other deeply and fervently from the depths of your heart. And he continues in chapter 2 verse 2 and he says, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he's saying, in, as, as opposed to, to pursuing those fleshly cravings, the malice and, and slander and envy, and just letting your life kind of go, you know, whatever you will, or kind of going with your, your own sinful nature, you know, re, uh, turn away from that and pursue holiness, pursue pure spiritual milk. And Paul talks about milk. He kind of, he uh, says that, it, you know, he talks about that is the teaching of the apostles. And Peter also says that this pure spiritual milk is, is the word of God. We see that a few times repeated in the verses prior to this. That, but I thought that Scott McKnight had a great definition of pure spiritual milk in his First uh, Peter commentary. And he said that pure spiritual milk refers to the very things that nourish the Christian community in its growth. Knowledge of God, prayer, instruction in the gospel, faithful obedience, and hearing God's preached word. The desire for spiritual nourishment is the desire of any church that wants to know the Lord and live in light of his will. And that is our desire as a church, that we as a community want to live in the light and we want to pursue the will of God, right? And we know that, that God has called us to turn from our sinful nature, that he's empowered us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But Peter here says to, to keep moving, to keep your momentum going, crave pure spiritual milk. Right, to, to pursue you know, knowing God, pursue prayer and instruction in the gospel, pursue obedience and, and hearing God's word preached. You know, and I just think that that is what we do as a community. We pull together as a community pursuing what God has called us to. So, we've said a lot of words this morning. One of us has said a lot of words this morning. But what are we supposed to do with that? Well, how, do we, how do we apply this in our lives? And what I think is really interesting is we have to understand that theology prompts behavior, right? As we look through all of the, the New Testament letters, we see that Paul and Peter and John, you know, they all start with kind of these grand theological ideas, you know, of understanding, you know, who God is and that he is sovereign, that he is omnipotent, he is, you know, he's all-powerful, you know, he is uh, omnipresent, you know, he's all the omnis, he's, he's all that there is, you know, he's transcendent, and he, yet he's imminent in 
and we, we see that he's imminent because Jesus came to earth, right? He's here with us. And so there's all these amazing truths about God, but they are for a purpose. We see that these theological ideas, they always lead to actual behavior. They lead to ethical living. They live to right living, lead to right living. So theology prompts behavior, and we see that very clearly in this book. And we also see that loving one another is the behavior of holiness. And I just think that is so significant. You know, a lot of times we, you know, we kind of have this idea of, of what holiness looks like, right? That holiness is me in a, in a prayer closet, right? You know, or me, you know, reading the word, or it's me... Um, you know, worshiping God, you know, or it's me in spending time with Jesus in some way. And those things are good. Those things are really good. And as we saw, we're supposed to crave those things, right? We're supposed to pursue those things with all that we are because they help us. But that is not the end goal. The end goal is actually our behavior, what we actually do with what God has given us. You know, in the the reality is that we glorify God through loving others. Over and over and over again, God tells us in his word, and the New Testament authors tell us to love one another, to encourage one another, to support one another, to greet one another. Like, there's so much that we are called to do as a community, and it is our behavior. It is what we do that brings glory to God. And yes, it glorifies God to, to read our Bible, and it glorifies God as we come together and worship him on Sunday mornings, but it can't stop there. It continues on, and we show love in our conduct, in our behavior throughout this, throughout Sunday mornings, throughout the week, in everywhere that we go. So, how can you show love today? That is the big takeaway. If you don't remember any of the things that I, I said today, this is the important thing. This is what Peter was getting at, I believe. How can you show love today? How do you show love to your family? Not just thinking positive thoughts towards them and thinking, I think they're great, right? But how do you show behaviorally your love? How do you show through your behavior and through your conduct love to this faith community? How do you show love to New Day Community Church? It's by volunteering for children's ministry and nursery. Um, and there's probably others. I'm not familiar with them. Um, how do you show love in this faith community? You know, how do we show love to our neighbors? And that, I think, is what Peter is getting at this morning. So let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you that you paid such a high price for each one of us. That you saved us from sin and death and the wrath of God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God, you are worthy and we owe you our whole lives. And so we step into holiness because you deserve it. We pursue holiness because you deserve it. But also, God, we ask that you would help us to remember that holiness is so good for us. That it leads to, to a better, more fulfilled, more enjoyable life, God. And those lies of this culture that say that holiness is bad, God, that those are from the enemy. And we just turn away from those. 
God, and we pursue you because we want to enjoy this wonderful creation, this wonderful gift that you have given us. We want to enjoy this community of believers, God, that you have placed us in. We thank you. God, help us to show love in everything we do. Amen.